Welcome to American Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Cole McNeely. Coming up, we'll take a quick look at one of the top stories from TheCenterSquare.com. And later, executive editor of The Center Square, Dan McCaleb, and DC reporter Casey Harper will take a deeper dive into some of the top stories of the week. Coming up right after this on American Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Get the news that you need to know at TheCenterSquare.com. That's TheCenterSquare.com. TheCenterSquare.com. The majority of Americans think the rise in inflation last year will only get worse in 2022. Gallup released polling data Wednesday showing that 79% of surveyed Americans predict inflation will go up, with 50% saying it will, quote, go up a lot. Those are the most pessimistic numbers on inflation ever recorded by Gallup, the pollster said. Americans are split on economic growth, though, with 40% saying it will increase and 39% saying it will decrease. To read more about this story and many others, visit thecentersquare.com. Now for a closer look, it's Dan McCaleb and Casey Harper. Thank you, Cole, and welcome back to America in Focus, powered by The Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of The Center Square Newswire Service. Joining me again today, as he does every week, is Casey Harper, The Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. Casey, we're recording this on Friday, January 28th. A major winter storm is heading for the East Coast. Are you in the pathway, Casey? I'm right on the edge, uh, and I guess it could bring D.C. to a halt, although it seems like politically that is already happening with some gridlock around here. But yeah, we'll hopefully be making some snowmen um, pretty soon. <laughs> well, wish, uh, wish our listeners uh, on the East Coast the best. Stay safe uh, this <laughs> weekend. But we've got some things to talk about, uh, Casey. There was some major news involving the U.S. Supreme Court this week. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, our, view, our listeners may have heard that Justice Breyer um, announced his retirement this week, which um, for a lot of obvious reasons is, is a big shakeup in Washington. It really changes the conversation. Um, President Joe Biden has been kind of beleaguered by inflation numbers, um, poor economic data, by uh, some major Supreme Court losses, by challenges to his COVID mandates, um, by rising tensions in Ukraine. But I think this is an issue that he'd probably rather be talking about, which is replacing a Democratic uh, Democrat appointed justice in Breyer. And so the the other interesting twist in this is that Biden has pledged, you know, multiple times on the campaign trail to nominate a black female justice. You know, he said that he wants to. Um, what he said, number, this is a quote. Number one, I'm committed that if I'm elected president and have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts. I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation. It's long overdue. So that kind of sets the stage. It narrows down, obviously, uh, the, num- the the people that could be nominated. Some people that have been thrown out uh, to fit those parameters are D.C. Circuit Judge um, Kentaji Bar- uh, Brown-Jackson. There's a California Supreme Court uh, Justice. There's a South Carolina District Judge, um, J. Michelle Childs. So, you know, there are there is a short list, as there always is, but... Uh, also, as it, 
is always the case. No one really knows until the president makes that announcement. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. And before we get in, get uh, deeper into uh, who uh, President Biden may nominate, um, there's been plenty of reporting out there that um, Justice Stephen Breyer, who is the um, uh, the oldest member of the court, one of three. Mm-hmm. Democratic president-appointed uh, justices on the court. Um, there's nine members of the court. Six uh, were, were appointed by uh, Republican presidents, three including Justice Breyer by Democratic presidents. Um, that uh, that uh, uh, liberals, Democrats, were pushing uh, Breyer to retire uh, in an, uh, well ahead of this year's midterm elections um, because the Senate, the U.S. Senate, of course, has to confirm the president's nominee for the court. And there's a possible, the, the Senate now is 50-50, actually 50-48, 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats, but two independents caucus with the Democrats. So it's a 50-50 split um, with a vice president, a Democrat, Kamala Harris, holding the tie-breaking vote. Um, there was concern that the Senate could flip to Republican control and the Democrats really wanted Breyer to retire so Biden could uh, appoint a liberal to the court. What mm-hmm. can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the first thing I could tell you is uh, all the about this pressuring to retire. Um, you know, Dan, if anybody showed us what people are capable of at 83, um, it's you. And so I don't think it's appropriate at all that people will be pressured to retire at 83. You know, you've demonstrated that the efficiency and work ethic uh, of the mid 80s, it's possible. So um, I appreciate all that from you and the dead silence to my joke. So, well, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, th- there's something to this whole argument, though, getting serious from it. Um, there was one, there was a lot of rumors speculating that Breyer wasn't quite ready to announce his retirement and that it was leaked somehow. Now, White House is leaking things to benefit themselves. It's like not something that the Biden administration invented. That's, you know, by any means, that's been happening for a long time. But um, I think that they know that they need a long ramp up. You know, we've written at the centersquare.com about a lot of polling that has showed that um, Democrats, unless something changes, are expected to get walloped in the midterms. I mean, you know, with Republicans taking big gains um, in majorities in the Senate and the House, you know, how the question right now is how big will those majorities be? So if, you know, with the level of uh, partisanship that we're experiencing right now, you know, Democrats even were just a couple votes away from getting rid of the filibuster, which is kind of unheard of. So with the le- that level of partisanship gridlock, it's not beyond the pale at all to say that, you know, if November comes around, Democrats <laughs> lose their Senate majority, uh, especially if they lose it big time, that they're going to be enough Republicans who will just hunker down, delay and not get a justice. Uh, now, that would be that would also be unprecedented to make, you know, a three year wait for a Supreme Court justice. Um, so it'd be really interesting if they would really hold out that long. But it, the, the way for Democrats to avoid that headache is to, you know, get somebody nominated now, go through the process and get the vote done with plenty with plenty of uh, time before November where things will get really a lot more complicated. All right. And with the court essentially a 6-3 conservative liberal um, split. Some would say 5-3-1 and one, with Chief Justice John Roberts being more uh, more of a centrist, even though he was um, appointed by um, President Bush. 
um, that uh, months ago, President Biden even um, uh, hinted at potentially at least liberals were pushing him to do this, stacking the court. Uh, there's nothing that says the court has to be mm -hmm. nine members. So he even created a panel to study uh, whether or not um, uh, they should uh, add justices to the nine member court. So uh, Biden could um, nominate and appoint um, even more liberals to court to give it uh, uh, more balance. Um, uh, <clears throat> Republicans, of course, pushed hard uh, against that, and it looks like nothing's going to come of that. Um, um, uh, but there's definitely been a push on the Democrat side, on particularly um, the far left, to get more liberals uh, on the court. So I would expect, you know, we talked about uh, Biden saying he's uh, committed to uh, appointing a, a black woman to the court because there's never been a black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, not only is he going to appoint a black uh, woman or nominate a black woman, he's going to nominate a, a leftist, a very left-leaning uh, right. black woman to the court. Right. And, uh, you know, you referenced the nine justices. Where, where we get that from is Congress. The, the U.S. Constitution um, delegates to Congress to decide um, how many justices there are, are on the court. Since I think 1869, there's been nine justices. So there is a lot of precedent for this and it is established by Congress. But if Republicans were to do something, like I said earlier, which is try to wait three years for a new Republican administration, I think that would really put the pressure on Biden and other Democrats to do something like what you're talking about, which is expand the court, um, add more justices, uh, you know, destroy the filibuster at any means possible. Um, do what you have to do to put liberal justices on the court. So it is kind of risky when you talk about Republicans trying to play hardball when it comes to the Supreme Court, because Democrats have their own options. Um, and as you said, they're, you know, Biden is intent on appointing or nominating some um, left wing justices, especially because uh, right now Republican appointed or nominated uh, justices have the majority on the court. And, and one of the, and the major criticism of Biden's approach is why not why have a race and um, um, sex criteria right. why not pick why not nominate the best potential candidate regardless mm -hmm. of race or sure. uh, uh, gender yeah and I mean the other the other thing is why why not even if it's in your mind uh, to nominate a black woman to the court why now when you nominate this um, black woman, everyone's going to kind of know that you were looking for a black woman and chose a black woman. And so this is, you know, why would, why would you so publicly announce your intentions on the, on the race and gender? Why not just nominate a black woman without all the, you know, fanfare. And then people will say, wow, a black woman's nominated the court. That's great. Um, you know, she must've been really qualified and the best choice, but now it's like, because he's led and pushed so heavy on how it must be a black woman, it just kind of, to me, I think, I think, I mean, I've, what I've been seeing the commentary online, it's just been that it kind of taints it a little bit um, in the motivations, but it is historic. I understand why he's doing it. Um, and I think, you know, it'll, it'll just provide more ammunition against any Republicans who oppose it. Um, pretty much anything Republicans oppose Democrats. Now they, they are, uh, Democrats find a way to call it racist when they put it post the voting rights bill you know they were compared to segregationists so you can only imagine if they oppose the first black uh female supreme court justice what they'll be called 
and we'll know his who his nominee is in about a month, maybe even uh, sooner, and then there'll be uh, plenty more for us to dis discuss at that point. <clears throat> Why don't we move on, Casey? Um, more uh, vaccine mandate news um, this week. Uh, what's going on there? Right. So um, if you've been following us at the centersquare.com, you've seen we've done a lot of reporting on the vaccine mandates. We've broken some news. You know, as we've said before, there's several mandates. Um, and really this, uh, the last few weeks have been big weeks um, for the courts pushing back on these mandates. And I'll just say before I get into the court rulings that we have seen American uh, public opinion for these mandates really dwindle um, since Biden took office. Um, I think there's a few reasons for that. One probably being that it turns out the vaccine is not nearly as effective at preventing infection as it was first pitched to Americans. Of course, it does still have benefits and reduces your risk of death and hospitalization. But there was a time you probably remember, Dan, where you were told if you get the vaccine, you have nothing to worry about. And now right. it turns out if you get the vaccine, you could still get sick. You can still be hospitalized even. It just reduces your percentage chance of being seriously sick. So all I'd say, um, let me just know, add, one let me just add it. Yeah, the, go ahead. The, 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 the Omicron variant um, mm -hmm. really has amplified that because the, the Omicron variant almost seems to be, from an infection standpoint, immune mm -hmm. uh, from these vaccines. Now, uh, what you said about um, the vaccines helping um, reduce the risk of contracting COVID-19, certainly that seems to be the case. Um, but uh, there's been significant numbers of breakthrough cases, particularly with it when it comes to the mm -hmm. Omicron variant. Um, so that's, and of course, there's likely to be more variants and who knows how the vaccines are gonna respond to any new variants. It's true. And, and the other side of this is that there's really been an erosion of uh, trust among the public and the, the health officials because of these, you know, kind of changing uh, narratives a little bit. You know, you were, you were told that the vaccine is gonna just get the vaccine and you'll be fine. It turns out it's more complicated than that. You know, we were told to wear masks and, you know, I, I wear a mask and everything, but it turns out the cloth masks don't really um, do much for you anymore, you know? And so it just turns out that a lot of the um, the orders that were given early on in the pandemic, there's, it's more complicated. The data doesn't always bear out exactly what was said. Um, and so there has been an erosion of public trust. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, uh, the, the polling shows that Americans have less trust for organizations like the CDC and like President Biden. So, you know, for example, uh, Quinnipiac uh, released a poll this month that found that 39% of those surveyed approve of Biden's work on the pandemic, while 55% wow. disapprove. Now, that is uh, very interesting because when um, Biden took office, those numbers were almost reversed. Uh, and if you look at the polling, um, you know, Republicans generally are trusted on the economy, which was a big issue um, in, the, in the last election. But Biden was trusted far more than Trump on the pandemic. And it's a big part of the reason he was elected. He had much higher you know, level of trust. And when it came to the pandemic, people thought that he would do a much better job than Trump. And it's a major reason that he beat him if you just look, you know, if you just read through, between the lines on the polling. But now a lot of that trust is eroded and he's got, he's underwater on those approval numbers. Um, so I think that's worth pointing out. And then when you look at the court rulings, I mean, there have been several that have really shifted the political landscape on these mandates. One local example is, uh, you know, a New York judge threw out um, the governor there, the mask mandate. 
uh, this week, which blocked, you know, the, 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 the Democratic governor had a mask mandate for certain businesses um, and that was thrown out. You know, that came right after. This is a heavy blue New York state. Exactly. Exactly. Which has been really one of the most aggressive states, along with California, in these mandates. Um, And this was a mask mandate, not even a vaccine mandate, which made it more even more interesting. But, you know, all these cases always get appealed. Um, So there's there's always kind of a follow up to these things. But um, we saw a similar thing in Texas where, you know, a Texas judge basically granted an injunction to block the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for federal employees and contractors. So, you know, this is a couple, of course, uh, I think our listeners would be familiar with the recent Supreme Court cases that or case that blocked, you know, the private sector vaccine mandate. So just I think the, the real um, core of this story is that Americans are losing confidence in these mandates and the president's ability to handle the virus as the courts are kind of systematically striking down a lot of these um, mandates that are dealing with the pandemic. And it doesn't seem like the fight uh, over all these mandates is going to end anytime mm. soon. Um, so we'll keep following your reporting at the centersquare.com. Um, That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> More news on inflation. What can you tell us about this, Casey? Inflation is not good. That's what you need to know. Uh, no, it's, it's not good for uh, our pocketbooks. That's for sure. It's not good for pocketbooks. It's not good for your 401k. If you own a small business that buys a lot of goods and tries to resell them, it's not good for you because you either take it a loss or your customers are upset about all the higher prices or the, uh, the large, you know, business inner, you know, the large corporation that is your competitor can afford to keep their prices lower. Well, while you have to raise yours and they'll push you out of business. There's all kinds of um, implications on this. But, uh, you know, another uh, inflation measure came out today from the, you know, it's kind of a gauge from the Federal Reserve, which showed that inflation rose 4.9% from a year ago. Um, That's the biggest gain from 1983. So that's a a very large gain. Um, Some of these inflation measures, they're not wrong, but they, they can vary depending on how they're done. And so, you know, you can't just take one inflation measure and say that's the definite rise in inflation. You kind of have to aggregate them and see overall there's a major trend. And so this is like that. This 4.9% increase is, is very significant. Obviously, comparing it to the other data, it's the highest since 1983. So that's a <clears throat> that's a really, you know, significant change. But it's not the, the only one. We've had, we've seen other numbers that have shown higher um, increases, 6.9% from the con- just consumer spending. Uh, so if you just go into to, um, your local grocery store, you actually will probably see higher than 4.9% inflation. But when you take the economy as a whole, um, there seems so there there are factors and reasons for this. Uh, President Biden has really focused on the role of the supply chain and shifted all the blame there. And there there is some blame to go for the supply chain and how it's affected from COVID and how there's just been delays that have led to higher prices. Um, but what he doesn't like to talk about and mm-hmm. which and what experts regularly point to is the significant rise in federal spending. Um, You know, federal spending has been really through the roof. And uh, this last year, it was, again, just at very, very high levels. And the way that that spending is um, basically paid for is by printing money, as our listeners probably know. That money is injected in the economy and leads to more inflation. And that's probably why you have this Gallup poll released this week, which showed that 79% 
of surveyed Americans predict inflation will go up this year with 50% saying it will go up a lot. And that's the, you know, Gallup said those are the most pessimistic numbers on inflation ever recorded by that pollster. So um, I think Americans are very much aware that of what's going on here and they know it's not good. Yeah, so we'll have to keep an eye out on that, of course. Um, as we've talked about before, you've got the midterm elections this year, big um, big election cycle um, for a non-presidential year with um, every single uh, seat in the U.S. House of Representatives up, about a third of the U.S. Senate seats up, with President Biden's poll numbers tanking. How is that going to affect Americans at the, at, at, at the voting booth? Um, so if, if it, this inflation does continue uh, throughout the course of the year, the big question is, how is that going to impact Americans' um, uh, uh, mood w- uh, when they vote for mm-hmm. their congressmen and, and senators? That's All right. right, Casey, this week uh, launched the beginning of tax filing season. We're hearing... Um, we're hearing that uh, there could be significant delays on the part of uh, the IRS in processing these claims. In fact, there's still a huge backlog from last year's uh, tax season. What do you What do you know about this? Yes, uh, you know, since last year's tax filing season, the IRS has been very, very behind with millions of unprocessed returns. Um, and coming into this new, you know, tax year, there's a lot of concerns that that is only going to compound. So. Uh, let's see. You know, one one thing to note, though, is that the level of electronic filing has increased so much. You know, in the, the 80s, the IRS was only processing like, you know, paper returns and they slowly transitioned online. And now 81 percent of returns are filed online. But even with that, you know, we still have, I think, the major backlog. So the IRS had 6.2 million unprocessed for, um, individual returns in December. This is our latest data is December. They had 6.2 million unprocessed individual returns, 2.8 million unprocessed business returns, 2.4 million unprocessed amended individual returns, as well as 427,000 amended business returns. So, and then overall, they, you know, in addition to that, they have 4.7 million pieces of correspondence, people asking questions, sending follow-ups. And so if you're listening and you filed your taxes by mail, I'm sorry to tell you that you're number 4.5 million seven hundred eighty two thousand six hundred and seventeen in line probably uh there's a lot of other people who did the same thing hey casey can you can you repeat that number exactly as you just said it yeah you're gonna have to uh become a subscriber actually to get the exact number uh no (laughs) go to my venmo me uh no uh (laughs) yeah so um the 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 number of we're in the millions of returns that are behind uh there's there's a few reasons for this but the the big thing to know is just that file your taxes early this year if you can file them online it's a, it's a much higher chance that you'll, you won't be delayed if you do that um but just to know that there are delays and there's actually a bipartisan effort in congress to um kind of waive penalties right now because so many people are behind or there's been stories where people you know are getting fined by the irs because the irs hasn't processed their tax returns yet um uh, so one you know, the right arm of the IRS is like, why haven't you filed your taxes? It's in, and the guy who's the one, because the left arm of the IRS hasn't yet processed what's in their inbox. Right. And so it's causing a lot of problems um, for, for Americans. And another thing to keep in mind too, there have been some changes in tax law 
uh, over, since last year. Um, mm -hmm. One of them being we, we, um, uh, the child tax credit that, um, uh, that, that was passed by Congress and signed by President Biden this year that gave essentially um, families with uh, younger children an advance on their income tax returns. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm sure that helped uh, many Americans uh, in 2021. They, they might be surprised when they file their taxes in 2022 um, that uh, uh, they're going to get smaller returns if they're expecting returns uh, because they were advanced that money through the child tax credit. Yeah, I mean, with a lot of government programs, especially federal handout programs, the devil's in the details, right? So, yes, there's a, like you said, the IRS had to set up a monthly uh, funds distribution system for, for, you know, tens of millions of Americans last year, which is a big reason that the, they are so delayed right now. Um, is because administratively that was a huge lift and it was expensive and <clears throat> all that. But uh, as you, as you alluded to, there's really strings attached to some of that money, um, namely that you know you if you're used to getting a big tax refund, it's like well you already got it last year, <laughs> and so I'm not sure that that's really clear to a lot of Americans um, that really their tax refund was taken and broken up into little pieces and given to them over the over the year. Um, and especially if you counted on that tax refund to be in the green on your refund, you could actually be in the red or, or to say it another way, if you normally only get like a $300 uh, tax refund and you got several thousand extra dollars um, last year, then you could end up owing on your taxes when maybe you wouldn't have before um, just because of the extra money was given to you and maybe your income changed in a certain way. So I don't think that'll necessarily be the norm for people, but that is a scenario that could happen. Um, so you're right. There probably will be some Americans surprised when they get the returns, if they get their returns this year. Uh, Casey, we have just a minute or two for one final story. We started the podcast off with the Supreme Court, and we're going to um, uh, end with the Supreme Court, uh, which this week uh, decided to hear a major case on affirmative action in the uh, college admissions process. What uh, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, just quickly, um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that uh, colleges and universities around the country um, consider race as a factor in admissions. Um, particularly known for this are the Ivy League schools. Um, and this has been controversial. It's gone to the Supreme Court before. And really, the, there's two major lawsuits in recent years uh, that have brought this again to the forefront. One was a lawsuit against Harvard, and one was a lawsuit against the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, those lawsuits were brought um, by a group called St Students for Fair Admissions. And so they sued those two um, educational higher, higher ed institutions, basically alleging that um, Asian American students and um, white students were being discriminated against by the policies. Um, it is true that basically Asian American students and white students are penalized in the admissions process. Um, so they filed a lawsuit and now those two lawsuits have been combined and they're going to the Supreme Court. So it'll be interesting to see what the Supreme Court will uh, change, the, change the law or rule it discriminatory in, a, in an unfair way. This has been going on for well over a decade um, and there has been some precedent supporting it, but I don't know. I mean, one factor that wasn't really um, 
obvious at the time these policies were instituted, but is now obvious is that Asian American students are penalized by these or, or, or experience, you know, a disadvantage because of these policies, which wasn't really widely known at the time that affirmative action was instituted. Um, it's also worth pointing out that federal funding for schools is tied to this. So there are a few schools um, like my alma mater, Hillsdale College, that does not participate. Um, they basically argue that it is discriminatory to um, consider and count students based on their race and they refuse to discriminate against students. But be because in part because of that, they cannot, you know, the students can't use FAFSA. They are limited in federal funds and things like that, you know, that they can't receive. So it does have a serious implications for these institutions, especially those that have refused to participate. Um, it probably will be a while though. We probably won't have a ruling maybe until next year on this case, yeah. but it'll be interesting one to watch. Yeah, well, and certainly we'll be following it uh, at thecentersquare.com. But Casey, we have run out of time. Thank you for your insight as usual. This has been the America in Focus podcast. We'll talk to you next week.